So John chapter 8, and we're actually going to be looking at a few verses in there, um, a, good, a good swath of it, John chapter 8, and then verses 31 through 47 will be where we're hanging out. I'm actually going to read that whole passage here in just a little bit, and then we're going to, throughout the ser- sermon, uh, recap bits and pieces of it. So I just want to prepare you, because sometimes when I double read something, I feel like I'm going, there's too much. Um, but I had to talk to myself and say, no, there's, no, there's not too much of God's word. For me, it helps me soak in it a little bit. And so perhaps that's what you'll get to experience today as we read the entire passage and then come back to it in bits and pieces. But again, if you've got your, your outline in front of you and the sermon title, you might be thinking, what on earth is he thinking? Why is he saying, why is his sermon titled, Who's Your Daddy? I mean, seriously, what is, what his, what is his deal? Well, okay, what is the deal with this title? Now, if you've lived through the 1990s or maybe the 2000s, you may be familiar with this expression, who's your daddy? Um, It was a phrase that started to pick up steam during that time for one reason or another. Um, And now, unless you understand when people are being facetious or silly at you, you wouldn't understand that they're not actually inquiring who your paternal male or your male parental unit is. They're not asking that information. You see... Who's your daddy is a jeering insult used to put someone in their place. It's, a, it's an insult used to put someone in their place. And if you like silly movies, perhaps this is why my children were giggling just a moment ago. If you like silly movies, uh, a, a comedian named Dana Carvey a number of years ago made a slapstick film that's mildly family friendly. And the movie is called The Master of Disguise. And in that movie, he... Uh, because, of course, he is a caricature. He makes all these characters up, and that's how he's been a comedian all that time. He makes a whole movie out of this shtick where he gets a different costume on, he gets a different voice, and he becomes another person. Um, but in that, he also he doesn't just do it for fun. He's trying to be some sort of super spy where he can sneak in anywhere because he is a master of disguise. And his grandpa is helping him learn how to become this in order to rescue his father from some bad guy. Well, his grandpa is teaching him some things, and since Dana's character is not particularly strong, he's not really good at ninja or whatever, and not able to do uh, big, powerful moves in order to take down the bad guys with physical brute force, he teaches him something that he feels is better than just physically attacking your and, and, and beating them to submission. It is just simply slapping your opponent and shouting, Who's your daddy? Right? That's what he does. And so um, he sets him up with a test dummy and he slaps the test dummy and he says that in a disparaging, a demoralizing way, okay, to insult that person, slapping them in the face and saying, who's your daddy? Well, the funny thing, of course, is that the practice dummy, hands outstretched like this, decided to smack him back repeatedly. Um, It kept slapping Dana more and more than he did Uh, the dummy. Well, if gathering information about one's parental lineage is not the purpose of that question, (laughs) what does it seek to achieve? When we say, who's your daddy to someone, the idea behind it all is you, the person who's listening to this insult, you are not the most powerful or strongest person. You are not the most powerful or strongest person. Uh, What it might be insinuating is the father, quote unquote, your father is the power 
has a power and authority over you. Your father has the power and authority over you when you say that. Now, without spoiling too much of this message, it's not just that the person receiving the insult is less powerful. It's that the one who is slapping, perhaps, and shouting this at that person is actually saying, I'm the daddy, okay? I'm more powerful than you, son. You're not. Get used to it. And it's not very nice. Can we all agree? We wouldn't want that to happen to us. It's not very nice. But in reality, this is what kind of thing gets shouted at video games, uh, playing video games with each other, or perhaps at sporting events, uh, shouting that when you've dunked on somebody or you've gotten a, a touchdown in baseball. I think I'm mixing something up there. Now, with that in mind, let's join Just Chatting with Jesus, already in progress, Eight, John 8, verses 31 through 47. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who, is, who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Um, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth and I heard it from, that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. On to verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, the first kind of bullet point you've got there in your outline, and the first thing that I think we need to make clear in this whole message today is that God is Jesus' Father. Jesus makes it very plain and clear throughout this passage, but it's not, he doesn't just say it early on. Actually, later it comes up clearer in verse 42 when he says, If God were your Father, you would love me, 
For I have come here from God. I have been sent from God. I have not come on my own, but God sent me. And then earlier in verse 28, he says, I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. Now, Jesus here is speaking plainly, but these people won't get it. And if they're not going to get it, they're not going to get it. You get it? (laughs) It's like the whole parable thing over again. When Jesus talks about why people can't understand his parables to his disciples, he's like, well, so they can't understand me. I speak in a way that they can't understand me unless they can understand me, then they'll understand me. You understand? Anyway. So he says, the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This isn't the only place where it talks about Jesus being the son of God. In Matthew's gospel account, Jesus is baptized and something amazing happens. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, Heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So even the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, was letting people know this was his Son, Jesus. Further back even than that, Jesus was aware of who his Father was. He knew his daddy, (laughs) even when he was 12 years old, right? He was in the temple. They went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and everyone left, but he stayed behind. And Mary and Joseph didn't know that Jesus wasn't walking with one of his other family members until they get about three days out. They hightail it back to Jerusalem, to the temple. They find him there sitting with the teachers. And it says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And he says to his mother, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Can you imagine how grounded Jesus would have been right there if he wasn't the son of God? I mean, seriously. So in the face of being grounded by Mary and Joseph, Jesus still recognizes that God is his father. At 12 years old, he knew it. And he knew that this was the better work that he should have been doing. Of course, he goes along with them and obeys them, the scripture also says. So don't think this is his chance to, for all of us to be disobedient. But Moving right along, so we have addressed that God is Jesus' Father. Scripture talks about it pretty plainly, and so does Jesus in this passage. But what of these Jews? What are these Jews that Jesus is talking to in this particular section of John 8? The very beginning of the verse is interesting if you don't know what happens before it. The beginning of verse 31 says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. Well, these Jews, they start believing in Jesus in this previous passage, verses 28 through 30. And that whole idea then makes their reaction in this passage kind of confusing, at least to me. Maybe it's clear to you. You see, 28 starts off like this. When you have lifted up, Jesus is talking to them. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Verse 29 The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. And then verse 30 Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. So there's the group, the many, whatever number. Whoever they were, we don't really know, man, woman, whoever's listening to them right there, the Jews, 
they believed in him. Okay? And then, of course, verse 31 takes us into our main passage. It seems like they're believing in his case as the son of man or this special sent one of God. That title actually pops up a lot in scripture. It's not necessarily unique to Jesus, but Jesus is looking back and reflecting on that term and owning it. A lot of the people who uh, were referred to like that, like even Daniel, um, they um, were the special sent one of God. And Jesus brings up the Jews' needs all of a sudden And then they go ahead and snap back at him because he would say, Jesus would say that his real disciples would hold to his teachings. Verse 32, he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't even say, who's your daddy at all? He doesn't even ask them who who they're the descendants of. He just has an observation, an authoritative observation, even nonetheless. He says that you need to be set free. He recognized it whether they did or not. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Again, they must have felt utterly insulted. Is he saying that we're slaves? They might be thinking. Saying that that we're sinners? How dare he? Who does he think he is? Oh yeah, son of God, Messiah. Right. But the Jews would say, we have no need for the son to set us free. We were never slaves. We're Abraham's children, right? And Jesus goes on to say stuff about how he sees, he does and sees what the Father uh, says and does in his presence. And he says, you are hearing what you hear from your Father and you're doing what you, your Father would say to do. And then, of course, they're going to come back with a witty comeback. Well, okay, who's our Father? Well, our Father, again, is Abraham. Our Father is Abraham. Reminds me of a children's song. Have you ever heard the children's song, Father Abraham. Yeah, yeah. As a, as a kid's pastor, I did this song quite a bit, and I learned it as a kid. It was great. It's like, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Why well, I'm one of them, and so were you. It's always awkward when none of the motions are in yet, by the way. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. And then you swing your right arm, and then you repeat that whole song again. You get to the end of it, and you put another arm in, and you do it again, and you put your other leg up, and then you get your other leg going, and then you spin around like this, and then you probably are doing this, nodding your head. And by the time you get done with the last refrain, uh, you say all those things, and then you sit down or something like that at the end of the song. And it's this big, exhausting, but fun song, right? (laughs) And I know it's goofy and the movements are are crazy, but usually when you're leading this song, uh, you're trying to get the people who are the kids, ideally, to participate, to get the wiggles out, to have fun. And uh, they have to match the actions that you're doing. Well, in the case of these these folks here in this story and that Jesus is talking to, if, if they were doing what we hear from our father, it's what Abraham would do, right? That makes sense. 
You know, if Abraham told you to swing your right arm and then your left arm, I guess you'd probably want to do that on a very simplistic thing. But the Jews were responding to Jesus' correction. Um, and just like the silly motions in Father Abraham, it's hard to match the leader 100% of the time. But Jesus knew that they wouldn't be able to match Abraham even if they tried. And he knew, he knew, get this, they weren't even trying. He said, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. Did he, did he make you do this? Did he make you do goofy motions? Uh, probably not. But in this particular situation, Jesus mentions that Abraham specifically was not likely to try and kill him or someone like him. But his audience very much were. Question, who's your daddy? Well, they'd say, Abraham, of course. We just went over this. We are Abraham's descendants. He is our forefather, the father that came before all of us. And Jesus catches them with a paradox. If you are the child of a particular father, you do what he said to do. And Jesus, of course, sets up that concept in verse 28, where he talks about his relationship with God. Here's how it's supposed to work. I see what I see from the Father, and I go and do it. You see what you see from your Father, and you do it. Anyone who's ever raised a child or hung out with parents with children may have picked up on something, right? Um, As your young one is learning how to control basic functions, become a a normal human (laughs) in society, uh, they go through phases, right? Of course, they crawl, they, they make noises, they make cooing noises, but eventually they get to the point where they're mimicking things that you say. They're learning words and sounds. It gets even uh, more interesting once they actually get a decent vocabulary because then they hear all the things that you say. You might get to the stage where you're actually spelling things out so that they can't know what you're talking about in front of them. Uh, That doesn't last very long, thankfully. But um, yeah, they might actually start sounding like you and it might not be very flattering. You see, um, for us, we would hear the girls playing in their playroom and then maybe they were playing house or school or whatever. And if we didn't like the tone that they were taking with each other as they role played as, as parents or teachers, we would consider maybe, maybe they're hearing it from us and maybe that's not really the greatest thing in the world. I know that I did that as a kid. Me and my sister, I don't know how we didn't get grounded for it, put on a little play before our parents about how we weren't a fan of them arguing over certain topics and... Uh, we actually role-played as them in front of them. And I was like, how did we not get spankings or groundings out of that? But we survived. Well, the whole point is that it usually makes us aware of what we say and how we treat others in our family. When we have somebody copying or mimicking us, it helps us hear what we can't hear when it comes out of our own mouth. So anyway, back to Jesus. He hears what his father says And then he does what his father does. The Jews, Jesus is talking about, did not. And in Jesus' observations, they did not or do not uh, do. Wow, I'm getting all my words confused here. They didn't do what Abraham did or would do in their particular situation. What would Abraham do? I don't think there's any bracelets about that, by the way. But a few things that Abraham did. He left his father's home and country, which we probably think, oh, that's a bad thing. You're leaving your family, but God told him to. Go in faith 
trusting in God completely. Uh, and God would show you where, he, where you were to live or where you'd go. And essentially, he's putting his full trust and faith in God and obeyed God's leading for his life. That was one of the main big things that people look back up to Abraham for. And he was so obedient that he was willing to put, uh, sacrifice his son Isaac on a, mount, on a mountain. And you know, Abraham wasn't perfect, but usually when referenced in the New Testament, they talk about his saving faith. And that's what takes center stage about the conversation with Abraham. And so far in this message, if you've been paying attention, we've got two doubts, right? We've got God, Jesus' heavenly father, who, and then we've got this other dad, whoever he is, and the father of the Jews that Jesus is talking to. We've got God and whoever this is over here. The Jews say that this one over here is actually Abraham. Just in case you didn't know, Jesus is Abraham. He's, my, he's our father. And Jesus is not so convinced. You sure don't look like Abraham's kids. You sure don't act like Abraham's kids. You're acting and behaving the way that you are our father. I don't know how to emphasize this. Your father. Your father. I'll put it like that. Your father wants you to. And so if Abraham is not the daddy, then who's the daddy? Well, when confronted with this particular situation, we move on to the Jews changing gear a little bit here. They might say something like, um, did we say Abraham? Well, our spiritual more important one uh, is God is our father. And they say that we're in the same bucket with you, Jesus. They actually just finished arguing with Jesus for several verses, trying to convince him that they were part of the Abraham promise, Abrahamic promise. And then they just shift gears on him. We're not illegitimate children. Our only father that we have is God himself. He's our only father. They've been saying all this stuff about Abraham. Look at my pedigree. I'm such a good Jew. I'm, I'm a Hebrew from the line of traceable all the way back to Abraham. The promise that God made for him is for me too because I was born into it. But now they go ahead and say, well, we're going to play the God card. The God card, right? Who's my daddy? Who do I answer to? Well, it's the same one that Abraham answered to. It's Yahweh, the Lord God. Have you ever met someone who just seems a bit super spiritual? Super spiritual. And I don't mean that they talk about Jesus in heaven and stuff all the time. That's not really a problem. The problem is, is that you suspect it's all a show. I think that's the hard part. It's not that somebody is just obnoxiously uh, spiritual or religious uh, in the faith, but you suspect it's a show. They're not any deeper than any puddle that we would find outside today, spiritually speaking. These Jews were looking for the end-all, be-all to Jesus' accusations. The big problem is, is that Jesus didn't agree with them. Jesus strongly tells them who their daddy is. Verse 44, you belong to your father. Oh, here it is. The devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. Now, okay, reality check. How offended on a scale of one to a million <laughs> would you be if someone looked at you, your motives, your actions, your desires, and said, your daddy is the devil? Would that be pretty insulting to you? Would that, maybe they don't even know you that well, but they would say that to you. Personally, I would take the high road and respond with the age-old chestnut of wisdom that every child knows on the uh, playground. 
am not. My daddy is not Satan. (laughs) Maybe there's a lesser known retort when somebody says something insulting to you. So's your face. Yeah, I'm not as mature as I look. Well, Jesus doesn't give the Jews much time to respond. He keeps laying into them about this point. Later on in verse 44, it says, he, talking about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, but there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So not only is he the father of you, but he's the father of lies. Murder is his game and his name is Satan. Murder, or at least attempted murder, was what Jesus called these Jews out for earlier. Do you know murder and murderous desires, they don't come from uh, the lack of being, you know, your stomach grumbling or whatever. They come from your heart, not your blood pumping muscle, but your spiritual heart. If you've got murder in your heart, you're going to seek it out or at least desire it. Their hearts were not right. Their motives were not right. It all stemmed from who their father really was. And that was the devil. If you missed it. <laughs> Coming down to uh, this section here called paternity test, right? You've probably heard of one of these before. It's a medical test that allows scientists to determine if a particular man is a father of a particular child. But it takes more than DNA to be a dad. Just because you fathered a child doesn't make you a dad. You know, of course, we'd look to the pedigree, kind of very similar to the Abraham thing, genetics, family tree. These are biological realities of being a father. You know, being able to pass on your name to your kids, some genetics, your amazing hairline if you're lucky. But the most important thing that makes a guy a father is when he takes part in guiding his children to grow up to value certain things. Things that the father cares about. To not only value those things like faith, respect, hard work, the sharing of Jesus' love with the world, but also the ability and encouragement for your children to mimic those values, to live them out. Not just teach them intellectually, but help them internalize it so that they live it out. Jesus said it best to these believing yet unbelieving Jews. Verse 47 Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. Stop right there. If you're hearing what God says, pretty good indication you're already wanting to and already listening to him and he's already calling you. The reason you do not hear, he says to these particular group, is you do not belong to God. If you belong to him, he is your father. Then you hear what God says. And this particular station, if they had, they would hear this message Love Jesus. He's the one I sent. He's the one with the message. But they couldn't. They looked for ways to try to kill him, according to Jesus here. The section of scripture reminded me of John 1, verses 12 through 13. You have it there in your bulletin. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the paternity test. <laughs> are, you a, are you born of God? The people Jesus were talking to in John 8 were not yet born of God, 
or as Jesus explained, they would have understood, understood what he was talking about. Wrapping things up here, in a moment we're going to listen to a song to conclude our time together, but the question still remains that we all have to face. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? <laughs> Might sound silly you keep asking that question. When I say it, and if you're trying to be serious about it, you might say your earthly father's name in your mind. You might think of someone who was a role model and influenced you in your life to become a better person. They passed on values and skills to you. But ultimately, I hope that we can come to the same conclusion that God is our father. And he isn't our father just because we say so, or else the Jews in that story would have been in just because they said so. It's not just because we say so or because a particular prayer was said or because we rub prayer beads or meditate or uh, go to confession. He is our father because we are born again in him through the spirit. As we conclude our time today, I want to play a song for you called Good, Good Father. You have the lyrics there. I want you to just simply reflect on God's fatherly goodness today and how that should shape how you live.